As you remain standing in body or spirit, as we come before God's word, let us do so very likely as Jesus and the disciples would have, reciting what he called uh, the great commandment and what the Jews would call the Shema. Would you follow after me in Hebrew and we'll do it together in English. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Had. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in our day, many successful books and movies uh, require a sequel, and so uh, the number of sequels will happen, and when they sort of run out of sequels they can make, they'll now go backwards and make a prequel. Well, we've been talking about the origins of God's uh, people in the book of Genesis, and so the story would be of Abraham, and the sequels would be Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and perhaps the grandest sequel of all, Moses and the Exodus. But this morning, we're going to look at the prequel. How did it all begin with Abraham? And we're going to begin in chapter 11, verse 27, and go right into the start of chapter 12. This is the count of Terah. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldees in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed by you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Having just gotten back from um, uh, what was supposed to be a 10-day vacation and turned into 11, I have traveling, I guess, on my mind. So I was very curious to look at the details of this journey of Abram this morning. And the journey starts with Ur of the Chaldees and, and goes to a place called Haran. The journey is 700 miles. Now, there are a couple things that interest me. Number one is that Abram's brother Nahor decided not to take the trip. And after uh, one missed flight where we had to spend the night in a hotel outside an airport, and after nearly missing another flight by two minutes, I can appreciate Nahor's perhaps unwillingness to travel. And so he doesn't leave at all, but Abram's father, Terah, goes. And he makes the 700-mile journey, but when he gets to Haran, instead of going on to Canaan as he had originally planned, He stays there, and well, I don't blame him. 700-mile journey on an older guy in those days is rather tough. But Abram will journey not only those 700 miles, Abram will journey even further, and he'll journey to a place where he doesn't even know he's going because God doesn't tell him where the destination is. So it raises the obvious question this morning, why? When his brother didn't even go anywhere and his father quit on the journey, why did Abram quit? keep going? Well, the obvious answer would be, well, God called him. 
And when God calls you to do something, you do it. And, and if you remember nothing else this morning, that'd probably be a good thing to remember. But while you're remembering this, know that it is biblical that God calls every one of us on our own journeys. You cannot think of a hero or heroine in the Bible who is not called on a journey, including Jesus, who makes the journey to Jerusalem. Journey is non-negotiable for the life of faith. And so I thought it might be more helpful this morning to see what was hidden in the call of God to Abram that we looked at this morning and see if we can discover stuff that might impact our own lives. The first uh, thing is I want to point out to you something that's rather strange in Hebrew. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Most of y'all know I took it past fail. So I'm getting this from experts. But experts notice something very strange. Uh, The NIV just completely misses it. It says, leave your country. But in Hebrew, it's really go, go. It's lech, and then the same word, lech, repeated with emphasis, lech, laha. And so some scholars say what that means is, Abram, go, go for yourself. In other words, make this journey and it will do something for you. For when we meet Abram in the story, it looks like he has everything. He's married. He's got a number of possessions. He is obviously has a relationship with his father. But what he doesn't have is Sarah. Sarai is barren. He has no future. Uh, There are no children on the horizon. And so while it looks like he's got everything, he really doesn't have everything yet. And another interesting thing is he had lost a brother back in Ur of the Chaldees. And so he had had, uh, left a place that really represented death. And he'd come to the stopping point, but he really hadn't found life. And God comes to him and makes basically a promise that will affect Abram and Sarai. To be childless in the ancient world, um, uh, unfortunately, had quite a stigma, uh, perhaps even worse than folks in our day might experience, because you were thought if you were childless that you'd done something wrong, you were being punished. Uh, Number two, when they gathered in the town circle and everybody talked about their kids and what they were doing in the little league, metaphorically, you had nothing to offer in the town circle. And then thirdly, eternal life was um, not just heaven, eternal life was passing on your name and your heritage that it would go on past you. And without children, it went, it couldn't go anywhere. So at that, in a sense, dead stop, God will intervene and God makes five promises to Abram. God says, I'm gonna give you children because you're gonna be a nation. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make your name great. I'm gonna bless those who bless you. And then I'm gonna curse anybody who curses you, and so all the nations of the world will be blessed by you. So with that promise, we find out that Abram goes on the journey because he knows it'll be a blessing. And uh, and there's a little, little thing that's a hint, I think, in there that shows what the blessing is, not just besides children, there's another blessing. Early in the story, we're told that Abram's father and Abram set out for Canaan, but they kind of quit on the way. And so God calls Abram and doesn't tell where he's going, but guess where Abram ends up? He ends up in Canaan. It's a way of saying that when you follow God, a lot of us think, well, we're going to end up in poverty in India uh, or, uh, or something difficult or too painful is going to happen to us because we followed God. What the Bible is promising here is when you follow God, actually the deepest dreams of your heart, perhaps even dreams you didn't know were there, are going to be realized. He ends up in the very place for which he had originally set out so long ago. 
And then of course, another part of the blessing is not just the children that will come or uh, the, um, the destiny and dream that's fulfilled, but actually you probably know in every great uh, piece of literature, every great civilization rather has literature that points to it. Heroes and heroines on the journey always change on a journey. Things happen to you. Remember the Iliad, you know, the Odyssey. Uh, and so we, we watched the changes in Odysseus. While I was on vacation, I was reading a bi- biography of um, uh, President and General Eisenhower. And one of the things that happens before D-Day, George Marshall, the head of the army, calls uh, Eisenhower back to Washington, D.C., back to the States and says, before D-Day, you need a rest. And he says, no, I've got too much work to do. And he said, no, you need a rest. You will come home. And he comes home. And when he comes home, he makes a journey to Abilene, Kansas, to his hometown and notes how different he's become since he's been in Europe. While he's been in Europe, he's had a couple disastrous uh, military experiences. Well, first in North Africa, then in Italy. He's had to argue with Field Marshal Montgomery, which is never fun, and Winston Churchill, which is even less fun. And yet through all of it, his family notices that he has become so much more confident than they had ever known him. His whole bearing had changed because of this journey he had taken. So there are blessings on the journey uh, for us. And so Abram goes. Now, here's the warning though. Let me give you the truth in the packaging here and the advertising. In the Bible, whenever God calls you to something, it's not usually something really easy. Usually to follow God on the journey, you're gonna have to give up the known for the unknown and you're probably gonna have to go against the crowd. Abram is called uh, to leave uh, your country, your land, leave your people and leave your household. Now, likely he's called to leave three things because he came from Ur, and Ur is the capital, according to scholars, of the worship of the moon god and the moon goddess. In fact, his father's name actually is a twist or a play on the moon god's name, and his wife's name, Sarai, is probably um, uh, in the Akkadian would be a, a, a twist on the moon goddess's name, uh, 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 Sinai. And so, it, he, and Joshua, the book of Joshua, tells us that Abram came from a family that worshipped idols. And so God said, you're going to have to go against this idol-worshiping crowd. The story is not in the Bible, but one of the traditions is that Abraham's father actually was an idol maker. That's how he made his living. He carved these wooden statues. So one day his dad is out, and so he leaves Abram in charge of the shop. So he starts smashing all the idols with a hammer. And his dad, and before his dad comes home, he puts the hammer under the arm of one of the idols. And his dad said, what happened? He said, I don't know. This one idol just started beating up all the others. And his father said, you know, that's impossible. The idols can't move. They don't do anything. And as the legend goes, Abram said, well, then why at your age are you worshiping them? And so he has to go against a community uh, and go a different direction. Perhaps like a number of you yesterday, I spent part of the morning watching John McCain's funeral. And if anything came out about his funeral is here was a guy that didn't mind going a different direction for better or for worse on occasion. He would go against the crowd. And the crowd can be very powerful and very strong. There was a researcher named Solomon Ash 
And like so many people, he's trying to explain and understand how so many people could follow Hitler in Nazi Germany. So they did a little experiment and they showed people a number of drawings of lines on a piece of paper. And they would ask them like, which one was longer, which one was fatter, which one you know, was the straightest. And what they did for this experiment, they got a whole bunch of people in a room, but ahead of time, they had talked, I think like 15 or 20 of them into answering the first 10 correctly and the next several incorrectly. And so they watched to see after the first 20 people gave right answers and then started saying, no, the shorter line was the longer one or the skinnier line was the fatter one. They watched to see what the next 20 people would do and almost half of them gave what they know was the wrong answer. But they did it because the people in front of them gave that answer. Abram has to go against the crowd. The call to follow God is the call to be blessed in your life, but it will invite courage. So what can give you the courage to do it? Here's the last thing I wanna show you about this call this morning. What's interesting to me is Terah, his, his dad decided they would set out and leave Ur, which reminds me that probably at some point, Terah realized that we shouldn't worship idols. We should worship the one true God. Um, but what happens is Terah stops on the journey at Haran and Abraham continues the journey. And the lesson for me is, I take the journey, even though it's hard and it's against the crowd often, because I know I will be blessed, but more importantly, because I know it really fulfills my father's and mother's dreams and intentions for me. When I'm answering the call, I'm not just doing it for me. I'm, I'm helping to complete what they started. Years ago, I was on a trip to Israel with Ray Vanderland and somebody raised their hand and asked the question. Now, these people who escaped um, uh, Egypt and died in the wilderness, I mean, why do we learn about them? They were failures. And Ray got that look in his eyes when they get real big and he starts, his neck starts to stiffen and he looked at that person and glared at him and said, you cannot call them a failure because their children reached the promised land. They were a success. The journey that we take is a blessing, not just for us, but it blesses those who have come before us. I think sometimes we think if we head off in a new direction, God is calling us, that it's a betrayal to people who came before us. Well, my Sunday school teacher never taught that. Or I didn't learn that in this class. Or I never adopted that particular habit when I was growing up in church. And so we think it's a betrayal. But the truth of the matter is, to continue the journey in the direction God is calling you is the highest form of fulfillment. You saw on the insert a number of classes uh, offered um, starting this week and next and in October. For some of you, they will seem new or different. But know this, they are all predicated on this one fact that we believe every one of us is on a journey to go further in our relationship with God than we have gone before. And when we do it, We honor the people who have gone before us. By the most recent count that I know, there are about 2.5 billion Christians in the world, about 1.6, 1.7 Muslims, billion, and then 14, 15 million Jews. Add it up and what you find out is today, almost two thirds of the world's population worships the God of Abraham. How many worship the moon goddess or moon god of Ur? To follow on the journey honors those who've gone before us and leads to their greater fulfillment. Um, Our last day in vacation was spent in uh, Halifax. 
And my wife had done enough research to know that my great-grandfather, uh, Gottfried Magnitsky, had come to the United States uh, from Canada, came through Niagara Falls, and had come from Germany first to Canada. And we thought he came in through Halifax. So we researched the records, and we're a little surprised to find out, no, he wasn't in Halifax. He came in through Quebec. But anyway, they were kind enough to help us, and we found the 1876 list of the passengers. And what we found is a young man from Germany, I assume spoke no English, whose occupation was listed as shoemaker. Now that man had some sons. One of his sons, Arthur, uh, um, they came to Texas eventually. One of his sons, Arthur, was the first person to be uh, killed from his town in World War I. And so the VFW in Denton, Texas was named after um, uh, my great uncle. And then my grandfather went off in World War I, and I'd like to tell you that he was um, the hero, but actually he was the mess cook. He was the cook. Came home, uh, opened a restaurant, died too early, but he had a son. And his son, my father, became a physician and brought as an obstetrician hundreds of lives into the world. And then he had sons And I would tell you about those sons, except who can say they're still on their journey, just as Terah and Abram would have wanted it.